Good evening and welcome, my dear friends, once again, uh, also fans, colleagues, to Voices of the Sacred Feminine Radio, where me and my guests, well, we're busy here going about uh, manifesting a new normal, where you and me and probably many of our friends uh, uh, could safely call ourselves the cognitive minority. And you know, that's a good thing. Uh, Because, uh, in case you don't know, uh, the cognitive minority, well, they're the people sort of ahead of the curve. They're the people that get it. They're the people who can see the handwriting on the wall and are starting to create new ideas and ways of being in the world, while some of the rest of the folks out there are kind of stuck. They think if they keep doing the same things over and over again that things are going to change. Well, that's not the way it works. (laughs) Uh, If we were in earlier times, uh, we might be part of the Underground Railroad, uh, blazing a trail toward ending slavery. Uh, We might uh, have been the ones who helped classify rape as a weapon of war. We might have been the ones trying to tell the Vatican the world wasn't flat and the sun didn't revolve around the earth. Yep, uh, those folks were the cognitive minority. Uh, You know, ever heard of the 100 monkeys? Well, they're monkeys 1 through 99. I think that's who we are as we work toward that paradigm shift, toward that 100th monkey, um, as we hope to restore balance and create a world of equality, justice, peace, love, mutual cooperation, partnership, and did I say tolerance? Yes, indeed, uh, tolerance and diversity because, uh, you know, one-way thinking, that, uh, that doesn't uh, get us uh, too far, I don't think. Uh, well, I want to thank you uh, again uh, for tuning in to another great show, and I apologize for not being on the air last week. Uh, we had some computer difficulties, but uh, the show that was uh, scheduled to air uh, last week will be airing tomorrow. So if you were looking forward to that interview that I'm doing with Michelle Hart on on Enheduana, who was uh, a priestess of Mesopotamian times, Uh, she was the first poet and uh, she was a priestess and um, she was the first non-anonymous uh, writer that we know about, uh, you'll uh, you'll want to tune in again tomorrow or uh, catch it from the archives. But I just wanted you to know you did not miss anything. Uh, I also want to thank uh, Celia, who was tonight's artist, uh, and uh, the cut that uh, you heard just a little bit of, just a little tease, uh, was please forgive us. Um, it definitely sounds like a prayer, doesn't it? And uh, we do have to er- have to ask our ask our Earth Mother uh, to please forgive us for all humanity does, uh, you know, upon her that uh, just is not serving her very well. So, Great Mother, please forgive us. And tonight, um, I think we have uh, another awesome show for you. Um, Maybe you've heard uh, crazy stuff out there about uh, yoga and meditation uh, being practices that will enable the devil to enter you. I think that's hysterical. Uh, Maybe that kind of thinking sets your hair afire too. Well, tonight's show uh, will soothe that fire. Um, I'm so glad you're tuning in because I'm going to be discussing the spirituality of yoga with Monette Chilson. She is the author of Sophia Rising, Awakening Your Sacred Wisdom Through Yoga. 
Uh, Monette has spent uh, more than two decades uh, on and off the mat, and I don't think the devil has come knocking yet. Uh, She'll discuss these misconceptions about yoga, as well as the melding of faith and yoga. We'll discuss yoga's connection to Hinduism, if it's compatible to the world's major religions. She'll give us tips to move past the difficulty of uh, some of those um, those contortionist-like poses, and how she connects yoga to the sacred feminine, and a lot more. So um, stay with us uh, if you want to find out about uh, starting a spiritually infused yoga practice at home and uh, the emotional breakthroughs she's had uh, and chalks them up to her yoga practice. And we're going to get to that in just a second here, but uh, I have some other thanks uh, I want to shout out. You know, this past weekend I had been talking for weeks and weeks, maybe months, about the Goddess Spirit Rising Conference that was uh, being held in Simi Valley and put on by uh, some dear friends of mine, uh, Laura and Duffy of um, House of the Goddess and uh, it was a great conference and uh, it was so much fun to get to see some friends and fans of the show and actually meet you face to face so thank you Constance, Holly Judith and I know there were several others, thank you for coming up and saying hello and it meant so much to hear what uh, Voices of the Sacred Feminine uh, has meant for you because you know I sit here every week and talk and talk to my wonderful guests um, but it's not until I get an email from you or I see you somewhere and uh, and we you know we actually have some communication that uh, uh, sort of validates that you're out there and you're listening <laughs> and I'm not just uh, you know it's not just me and my guest uh, talking here so uh, so thanks ladies thank you so much for. Um, uh, for going to the conference and uh, for letting me know you heard about the conference on the radio show and uh, that you're fans. Um, it, that's awesome. And I also want to let you know that uh, coming up on September 26th, if you're in Southern California, uh, if you're close to Venice Beach, our Joseph Campbell Roundtable will be happening. And I'm, I mentioned a moment ago Michelle Hart um is going to be with me tomorrow because we had to cancel last week. Uh, she's actually going to be our presenter in Venice at the Venice Library uh, discussing Enheduanna, the first woman poet and writer uh, and priestess of ancient times. Uh, you know, Enheduanna dates back to the days of Inanna and Ishtar. So, um, you know, Michelle will be at the library on uh, September 26th, and uh, she will chat with us from about 11 to 1. The talks are free. So, uh, you know, don't miss it and uh, spread the word. Uh, tell your friends. Okay? Well, uh, that's about all uh, the housekeeping tidbits we have uh, for tonight. So um, we're going to jump right in and talk to Monette. I want to tell you a little bit more about her um, from her bio, and then we'll start our chat. Uh, as I already said, um, uh, her last name is Chilson, Monette Chilson, and uh, she's the author of Sophia Rising, Awakening Your Sacred Wisdom Through Yoga. And uh, she's been doing yoga for two decades. She writes and speaks about the melding of faith in yoga, and she's written for publications including Yoga Journal, Integral Yoga Magazine, and Elephant Journal. And she's contributed to numerous anthologies. Um, most recently, Whatever Works, Feminists of Faith Speak, which uh, I am also a contributor. 
Um, in fact, uh, we um, we had a show about that anthology. If you go back, you can catch it in the archives. And uh, that was when I actually met Monette and um, invited her back to be on the show. And I'm so glad uh, that I did. Uh, Monette's book was uh, awarded in Illumination Book Award Gold Medal, as well as the Hoffer Small Press and First Horizon Awards. Uh, you can connect with her on Twitter and Instagram, uh, and her name is at Monette Chilson. Or you can explore her work at uh, SophiaRisingYoga.com. And I want to mention this, and we'll try to remember to mention it uh, before we say goodbye tonight, but uh, Monette is so kind to be uh, offering uh, a special offer to show listeners. If you follow Monette on Twitter or Instagram, at Monette Chilson, and comment with your email address, Monette will send you a free copy of her Power Hour Guide to carving out a spiritual practice for yourself in an hour or less a day. Well, Monette, I think I want one of those myself. <laughs> Gladly, Karen. <laughs> Thank you so much. Well, Monette, I'm, I was so glad that Trista uh, introduced us uh, via that uh, wonderful anthology of hers, uh, Whatever Works, Feminists of Faith Speak, uh, you yes. know, because it was so much about diversity and tolerance and um, collaboration, you know, all of those wonderful things uh, that are hallmarks uh, of the sacred feminine. And I remember you were such a pleasure. I, I'm so glad you're with me again tonight. Thank you. I'm glad to be back. Well, you know, um, speaking of yoga, I will confess, and I don't remember if I told you this when uh, we did the show about the anthology, but um, I find yoga hard. <laughs> and I know it's because, I, you know, I'm not one of these, you know, these thin girls, you know. Um, it's hard for me to get up and down off the floor. You know, over the years I've been writing my books, mm-hmm. I sit way too much writing, I sit way too much at the computer, um, and um, it's just hard to, um, you know, get up and down. And I mean, it seems like it's a it's a practice for thin people who are, um, um, you know, what's the word? I'm trying to think. Um, you know, who are agile flexible. and flexible, yeah. flexible. That's the word yeah. I was looking for. So, um, it, it, am I just in the wrong yoga class, or can it be adapted, or um, what are your thoughts? Well, you brought up so many misconceptions about yoga just in your own experience. So I okay. love that. Okay. Um, yeah, people think what you just said, I'm not limber, I'm not thin, you know, I don't like to wear those yoga pants, whatever. Um, but that's not what yoga is about. I like to say um, the poses that we do in class that we tend to, especially in the West, we say, I'm going to yoga class. That's actually one limb of the eight limbs of yoga. Oh. So the postures, yeah, the postures are really not the be-all, end-all. You know, in the West, we tend to be more in the material realm. We want to see results. We want to do, do, do. So we focus um, our yoga on the postures. Um, and the funny thing about the postures, you know, 3,000-plus years ago when yoga was um, being developed, there was one pose, and it was just sitting, just sitting and being still. 
Um, and that was all they did because the point of the yoga was to be able to sit still and meditate. And they were not innately as distracted and kind of ADD as a culture that we are. Mm-hmm. So I tell people the only reason we have all these twisty, turny poses now is because our world and our life is kind of twisty, turny, and we've got distractions coming in, and it is actually impossible for us to walk in out of our busy lives, even if you're sitting a lot, because I do a lot of sitting and writing just like you do. But still, it's impossible with our monkey minds to walk in and sit down and meditate. So really the postures and all all the contortions are just ways to focus our mind and the present on something other than the chatter and uh-huh. start to work work through that in a physical way, a mental way, and a spiritual way till at the end of class, you know, everyone's favorite pose, Shavasana, corpse pose, you're laying there and finally your mind, maybe after an hour, finally your mind can be quiet. Um, hmm. So the, the irony is it's really not even about the postures. So the postures are really just a device to get you out of your head. Exactly, yeah. Okay. Well, and here I'm thinking, you know, the postures are to help me tone my body. And, and, you know, well, you know, the library here gives some free yoga classes uh, every Wednesday and Friday, which are wonderful. And you can barely even get in the room. They're so popular. But, you know, the focus seems to be... Um, well, let me let me rephrase it. They don't put much emphasis on breath or um, mm. or meditation. The focus is all on well, what's the next pose? And um, yeah. you know, maybe it's just because the teacher assumes we all know, and I'm just so yoga ignorant. Um, but you know, it just didn't seem like um, the way you described it. Unless maybe there's all mm-hmm. different sorts sorts of yoga. There are, and in in ways, I think that the teachers are pandering to what they think people want because really it's an an easier sell to say come in and let's tone your tushy than come in and let's, you know, tone your soul. Uh, Um, Okay. You know, so it's kind of what, but the, the beauty is that I think a lot of people get into those yoga studios and I'm, I'm, I'm just as guilty. When I was 25, I probably went in not even knowing why I was going in, and probably loving. I was flexible, so I loved being able to pretzel my way in. Um, But I think people stay because they get a little taste of something that's transcending those movements, Mm -hmm. and they want more of that. So I think people Mm -hmm. maybe come sometimes for the physical and stay for the spiritual. Yeah. Well, you know, I talked the librarian into having a chair yoga class, which, um, Mm. you know, which she unfortunately scheduled when I can't make, I mean, you know, just as a coincidence, it happened that way. But, um, you know, because I found myself struggling so hard and feeling so self-conscious about not being able to do the physical that that was the chatter in my head. (laughs) Exactly. You know? 
you know, uh, yeah. but I would feel by the end of the class, even for me, with my all my struggles, you know, I would get to the point where I wouldn't try so hard. I knew I couldn't do the poses, um, you know, uh, you know, perfectly. So I would give it my best shot and sort of stop worrying about it. And you're right, by the end of the class, I mm-hmm. felt really good. You know, I sort of felt rejuvenated and... Um, uh, I'm thinking to myself, why did I stop? I, I, I should probably go back or get a yoga tape and do it in the living room or something. Mm-hmm. So, see, that's a life lesson right there that you just described just from your short experience with yoga. Doing it, you realized after a while you didn't need to work so hard and it was okay if it wasn't perfect. Mm-hmm. And I think those are some of the lessons that all of us need to be reminded of over and over again. And there's Mm -hmm. something about learning them in ways that involve the physical. You know, we are such intellectual creatures in our modern world. We deal in information as a currency, and we think if we have more facts and knowledge that it's it's better. But um, sometimes if you can back off and not try to understand but learn kind of through the back door, a posture mm-hmm. can teach you a lesson maybe that someone telling you wouldn't penetrate so deeply. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, and I know there was there was one class and only one of the several that I took that we actually she called it a different type of yoga which I can't remember now. Uh but we actually did some mantras and um uh-huh. and i really I really liked that you know it it sort of you know deviated from all the physical struggling and um you know so that made me think you know that that maybe mm-hmm. there are uh, various styles you know um, there are so many styles, yeah um, I went to a yoga class today that had a beautiful ending i have i mean in all my yoga classes I've been to. The teacher actually pulled out, and of course my eyes were closed, so I couldn't actually look, but I think he called it a harmonia. It sounded a little like a cross between an organ and a harmonica. And Mm -hmm. he played it, and he chanted while we were in Shavasana. And it was beautiful. Um, Mm. And that was an unexpected, um, really spiritual ending to that class. Yeah, yeah, that that sounds so nice. Um, and, you know, you hit on something before, too, and, you know, I, I, I want to go there again and not gloss over it, um, that, you know, uh, maybe it's easier to sell a yoga class if it's about tightening your tush rather mm-hmm. than, you know, tuning up your soul kind of a thing. Um, so, so it's the spirituality of the yoga. I think people are hesitant to talk about spirituality or religion because they don't want to turn people off. Um, and I have to say that um, I probably, you know, if I didn't know better, uh, if I just walked into a yoga class, I would have no idea it had anything to do uh, with spirituality. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wonder if you could talk a little bit uh, more about that. You know, where the, do the two meet uh, unless it's in the meditation, you know, um, is there okay. is there more to it than than just the fact that yoga is really about meditation too, and meditation uh, is about you know trying to I guess connect with the divine source or the divine within or I'll let you 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 uh, explain. Okay, 
Well, let me go back a minute to those eight limbs that I referenced earlier, um, because that will kind of give you, if you can picture it like a tree, that'll give you an idea of how these different branches, if you will, kind of create and work toward the meditation. So when the eight limbs, um, the first one is actually, the first two are are kind of, oh, the do's and don'ts, if you will, are almost like the Ten Commandments are in the Christian faith. Um, they're mm-hmm. how we act and how we don't act. So those have a a spiritual essence, but more of a morality, because that's mm-hmm. kind of where you start. You start by doing the right thing. Like one of them, the very first thing you'll hear, and you actually will hear this one spoken of in a lot of yoga classes, ahimsa, which just means nonviolence. Oh, and okay. that's a good one. Um, there's so many ways to apply it, even when you're in yoga class, because sometimes we actually harm ourselves because our ego gets involved and we say, I really could stretch. I could do that. I, I'm going to push myself. But maybe we're not listening to our body and our body's saying, no, today this is as far as I can go. Mm-hmm. Um, so we learn not to harm ourselves and to tune in and listen. Um, so you go from these non-violence, non-lying is another one, non-coveting, which I use that in example sometimes when I speak. Um, there's poses for all of us that are not our greatest. And mine, backbend. I, I'm just not a backbender. So if I am not being present with my breath and focusing on what's going on with me, if we're doing a backbend and I look around, I'm going to start comparing and coveting and thinking, I wish my backbend didn't look like that. Why does it, the, Those things <laughs> our mind does, even in a yoga class. Um, so there's yeah. these principles that why they, they don't have to do with the postures. They can all be applied um, with with the postures. Um, so after that, then we've got the postures, which is our third. Um, and then we've got the breathing, which is pranayama. Um, and breathing, you touched on it before. Um, if you're not breathing in a yoga class, really breathing, then you might as well not be doing the postures. And there are times when I hit my wall and I am still doing yoga if I choose to sit and breathe and be present while the rest of the class is doing some other posture that I'm not doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so the breathing is key. And then the next um, limb is pratyahara, which is withdrawal of senses. And that is an interesting one to me because um, when you first hear it, you think of this monk-like withdrawing from the world and it doesn't sound um, like something very practical because who can withdraw But what I like to tell people is, again, back to the crazy world we live in where we're getting pinged and dinged and messaged and, you know, all day long. Mm -hmm. Overwhelmed. We are. We go into overwhelm and overstimulation mode. So withdrawal of the senses could really just be taking five minutes to focus on one sense. And there's a lot of really fun pratyahara exercises. Sometimes when I speak, I bring a bar a really fine dark chocolate and we share it and I have Mm -hmm. everyone pick up the chocolate and smell it, roll it around on their tongue a little bit and just savor that and be with your taste for the time it takes you to eat that chocolate. Um, 
you can walk out into your yard for five minutes and you can sit and close your eyes and just listen and just use that sense of hearing and see what you hear. Um, and instead you of take, how we're, we we tend to be such multitaskers too. Exactly. Yes, yeah, so yeah. monotasking. We want to monotask. Right. Um, and it's interesting and it's hard to try to focus on that. Um, sometimes if you're going to a bowl of soup is like the best food to do pratyahara with because it's such a sensory meal. It you know it goes down your throat and you can feel it warming your whole body. So if you can just sit and eat a bowl of soup and not check your phone and not even read a book, which is a hard one for me because I at least want to be reading a book if I'm eating by myself. But just sit and be present with your meal and mm-hmm. enjoy it. So that's a you know that is actually pratyahara, and when you break it down like that, it doesn't sound so intimidating to people. They hear the Sanskrit and they don't know what you're talking about, but it's really not that complicated. Well, I I just and, love every everything you've described because it you know starts out with some you know guides to live by, and um, mm-hmm. you know who can't use those, <laughs> you exactly. know exactly. You know, and, uh, you know, just as a reminder, you know, not as, you know, a, a ruler across your knuckles or anything, but uh, it right. doesn't hurt to be reminded because, in, you know, our world is so warped, you know, uh, uh, mm-hmm. greed and competition and, you know, all of the, uh, you know, the ugliness out there. Um, you know, I, I think uh, I think that's, that's great, uh, uh, you know, to have this as part of it. And, you know, and I had no idea. I mean, you know, I really, yeah. I figured yoga was about breath, you know, and, of course, movement. Mm-hmm. But I had no idea about these other limbs of the tree, yeah. you know, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, it it could be, um, you know, it could almost be an entire spiritual practice just in itself. You know, it really is, Karen. And what I think people don't understand and what, you know, I'd like us to talk about tonight is that, Really, it's a spiritual practice in and of itself, but you can take it and it can deepen whatever your spiritual belief system is or your religion or your lack of religion. Um, It is absolutely compatible with any of the world's major religions. I mean, it is really about tuning in your body, mind, and spirit to the divine. And yoga doesn't define the divine for you. Mm-hmm. You do that. So whatever the divine is, you're just going to become more in tune by being present and working your yoga on and off the mat. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm likening it to, um, you know, sort of spending time in front of your altar almost or something, you know. Mm-hmm. Um there's a, a woman in our community, her name is Lima Graham. Um I know her uh many years. I and she was on the show uh early on, several years ago. She uh she does goddess yoga and each of the poses um is reflective in some way of a particular goddess. And, uh, you know, so I, I can see what you're talking about. I mean, because obviously, I, I mean, I think Hinduism probably first when I think of yoga. Um, is that yes. where yoga originated? It is. And how I like to describe it to people is it was developed within a cultural context 
of Hinduism because it was in India. And the people who were developing it were Hindu, but the principles they developed are applicable beyond the bounds of Hinduism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And another, I mean, another thing I love, yeah, I love to remind people when they say, but it's so Eastern. I say, well, Jesus was so Eastern, too. <laughs> I mean, he was not a Westerner. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's just, a, because it's... <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that's stuff. funny. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I grew up in the South, and people really didn't stop to think Jesus didn't have blonde hair and blue eyes, you know. So exactly. You, we, we, <laughs> that's funny. Um, yeah. So, so is there any religion that you can, or spirituality that you can think of that uh, uh, it wouldn't be compatible with? You know, I cannot. I have not found one. Um, there are some theological differences when you when you talk to someone um who is Buddhist because they don't actually have a deity mhm you can get a little hung up on that um but of course Buddhists are the preeminent meditators mm-hmm. so they're all they're getting to the same spot because in the limbs that we were going through the the meditation the last three are actually meditation uh, concentration, meditation, and then union with the divine. Mm-hmm. So it's more of um, it's more of semantics to me um, yeah. than a difference. But yeah. you can get a little when you're when you talk to Buddhists about it. There's just a different approach. But what I've I've really found, and I truly believe that um, all the religions <coughs> are just signposts pointing us to the same place. And I really don't think that God or whatever you choose to call God, the divine, mm-hmm. I don't think that that God really cares uh, what we call God. It, you know, the, the, language, is our, language is our way of communicating with each other. Right. I think God, um, God already knows without us needing words. So sometimes I think we can get very, very caught up on the right way and the details. And I think as long as we're moving in the right direction and seeking that that wisdom, you know, and that's, mm-hmm. I, I use Sophia in my book because I think that wisdom, uh, that deep spiritual wisdom, not that I know lots of facts wisdom, um, is really at the core of, having a spiritual experience. Yeah, I like that you said that because I know when I was a a novice to goddess spirituality, I was so hung up on... Am I doing it right? And and especially mm-hmm. the, the then you add the Virgo in me too. So you know I was like so meticulous about the details, and that really got in the way I think of having the more spiritual esoteric experience. And I realized after a while to just relax. And it was really about the intention, and it didn't matter if I had the right thing on the right part of the white right quadrant of the altar, or had the right <laughs> color candle, or uh, I was saying the words um, exactly right, or you know, it just it you know it mattered what was 
you know, was coming from my heart and my soul and all mm-hmm. of these other things were just uh, accoutrement, <laughs> yes. you know, needless accoutrement, you know, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, tips, tips for integrating um, the spirituality of yoga into uh, one's practice if we tend to be, you know, one of these folks that um, it's been maybe more about the poses than the spirituality of it. Well, I would say, back to what we just talked about, don't get hung up on doing it right. So if you're going to play at home, you know, people hear home practice and they think, oh, my gosh, I'm not a yoga teacher. I can't have a home practice. But think of your yoga as this toolbox, and you're going to pull things out of it that are exactly what you need for that day. So... You get your yoga mat, you sit, and for the first day, you light a candle and you gaze at that flame for three minutes. And then you move on. Just build on little meditating, little breathing. Um, Go to yoga classes and don't be afraid to pull in things that speak to you that your teacher does. And I think people are very afraid. They think there's a magic to um, sequencing that the yoga teacher does. And Mm -hmm. 98% of the time, it really doesn't matter what Mm -hmm. order you do the postures in. Um, Mm -hmm. So pick things that speak to you and play with those. Um, There's a part of yoga that is uh, back in the... um, the ethical kind of things at the beginning, one of the practices is called self-study. And that is just learning about ourselves through trial and error, not through someone giving you an owner's manual or telling you how you feel. And I often, um, my home practice is very different than what I do in the studio. I may know that there's that little place that tweaks every time we do a pose when I'm in class, but in class I don't have time to listen to it As well, I may back off not to aggravate it, but I may try a little movement this way and a little movement that way and this and that and what feels better, and I learn a little bit about myself. Mm -hmm. Um, So be playful with it, which to some people you're saying, but wait, wait, we're trying to be spiritual. I can't be playful. But I think you really do have to be not so serious Mm -hmm. about it. I guess those are, those are some of the things I would I would say. Okay. Reading, um, there's lots. You know, read about people who approach yoga from a spiritual perspective. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe if you're a certain religion, you seek out books by the person in that religion that's maybe speaking from your tradition, or uh, just a, a book that generally approaches the spirituality of yoga. Because I really, you know, there are yoga. We talked about how many different styles of yoga there are, but there are some people who really think that you have to take the yoga and put it into the box of the religion you're practicing to make it work, and that's not my belief. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of yoga systems out there, you know, from especially within the Christian realm that take it take yoga and try to Christianize it as if it has to be made okay as if it weren't already okay. Um, 
how how do they Christianize it? Well, they will take um, poses and put them to Bible verses. They oh. will, um, you know, here's an example. Sun salutation, you know, that we all know as S-U-N salutation. Mm-hmm. It will be sun, S-O-N salutation. So you're because saying hi word. to Jesus. <laughs> exactly. And to me, and you know, I I really don't want to like tear that belief system down. That's not my belief system, but I will say that we all go on a journey. And on my journey, there was a time when I thought, gosh, I wonder if I need to meld the two in a way that kind of does what, what they do. And I didn't, I didn't go to training with any of the holy yoga or any of that, but I played with it on my own. And I did some work that really I realized after a while that it didn't, it didn't feel like it was flowing authentically. It felt like I was trying to play God mm-hmm. and make the yoga work with the faith instead of just trusting that spirit comes from a bigger place. And if yeah. I sit and breathe and I'm present, God will show up. Um, I don't yeah, need to so, manipulate it. Yeah, it's almost like keep it simple and that, um, you know, don't uh, add too many layers to it. Uh, and, uh, you know, because you can get crazy with anything, <laughs> you know. Yes. Uh, get obsessive with it. Well, and and I have to admit when you said Christians turn the salute to the sun as you went to SON, I my mind automatically went to hmm, we could salute Amaterasu, the Japanese sun goddess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and you you know, um, I said in the intro that I was going to touch on this, and um, I wonder, do you know anything about why some of these, you know, I, uh, I, I want to, I'm assuming they're, you know, fundamentalist Christians that are so afraid um, of yoga and meditation. I mean, what's to be afraid of? Do you, do you know what, what worries them so much? Um, what I understand is there's a lot of, fundamentalist Christians who believe that if you are meditating, you are opening your mind to whatever would like to come in. Mm. And apparently, they're afraid. And again, it's back to a fear-based way of living, which is not how I choose to live. They're afraid that by opening up their mind, something they don't want to is going to come in. Um, Mm. Yeah. It's sad. Well, I mean, it, it, it reminds me of a Ouija board. You know how they say, "Don't you know? Don't play with the Ouija board because you don't know what right. you're going to invite invite in." Um, well, right. you know the other other th- other thing I wondered. Um, I mean, I and, and I'm just you know I'm I'm hypothesizing here, but um, that may be what the minister tells the congregation. But I wonder if you know, since Christianity is still one of these things, one of these religions where um, uh, you know, they don't teach you, I don't think, at least they didn't as a Catholic, that you had your straight pipeline to God. You know, you need that minister or that pope or that priest uh, to be your intermediary, or you need Mary as the intermediary between you and God. And if suddenly you had direct access, well, maybe they'd become obsolete. Mm. So I, I, I wonder if maybe in some cases... Um, you know, it's about that. If you suddenly felt like, you know, you could reach God and um, we're having, 
you know, some sort of ecstatic mm-hmm. experience without them, then you might stop putting money in that offertory plate uh, because, yeah. you, know, you, you, yeah. you know, you might turn away, you know. Who knows? Who knows? But well, um, we, I talked a little bit about that. Um, I'm and the church I go to has a lovely um, center that's a center for Christian spirituality, and we were talking about why more Christians don't practice centering prayer, which is exactly like what you do in yoga, but it's a it's a Christian based practice that came out of um, community of monks. Thomas Keating is is one of the main founders of Centering Prayer. And, you know, in the discussion we said, well, really, um, that would kind of lead the church out of the loop. If if everyone got to have their own understanding of God, and it might not be the same as your neighbors, and then that causes a lot of chaos. If you're trying, Mm -hmm. you know, religions are by their nature organizational structures. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do a lot of good. Um, there are a lot of good from that, but they're to keep going. They have to maintain some sense of control, like what you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be a good that can be used for good or evil. But right. it, it behooves them to have some oh creed and dogma that tells everyone who God is, because if everyone just sits and meditates and comes up with maybe a slightly different understanding of what God is saying to them that day, mm-hmm. that's hard to uh, rein in, and that's hard to shepherd when we're all going different directions. But, yeah, because you know, I think they, what, they, they feel much safer with conformity rather than, um, you yeah. know, I, I think diversity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, now, with your book, uh, Sophia Rising, you explore the feminine face of God in your book. Um, what role did yoga play um, in your recognition of the sacred feminine? I mean, are you are you a goddess woman, or I know you had a Christian background. What, um, how does that all fit together at this point in your life? Well, I definitely don't have a good label for myself. Um, I would say I'm still in the contemplative Christian Christian tradition, mm-hmm. but I focus a lot of my spiritual energy on Sophia. Mm-hmm. Um, Greek for wisdom, that's that's what I chose to focus my book on and and I talk in there about um I think it you know, from gosh, from as long as I can remember I had this feeling that I probably couldn't even put words to when I was young, that God was beyond gender. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I grew, um, I was quite the budding young feminist, and I just almost couldn't stand the fact that we always called God he, and God mm-hmm. was always the man in the white robes. And it built and built, and I tried, um, you know, I tried to stay in the churches that I grew up in, and I, it just didn't work. So I mm-hmm. walked away from the church completely in my 20s. Um, and then I took up yoga in my mid-20s. And I think the first time, and I went to a um, a very authentic, lovely yoga institute for my first class, my first few years. And you walked in and you could smell the incense and these 
cushions called zafus. I love that word. Were lined up along the walls, and it felt so foreign, but it felt so like home to me. And I sat on my mat, just waiting and not even really knowing what this yoga was, only that I was drawn to it. And um, I think without realizing it, because I wasn't coming necessarily for the spiritual, I just found a place that I got to determine who God was to me. There wasn't Mm -hmm. a preacher. The yoga teacher wasn't telling me who God was to me. And slowly, after a number of years, I began to feel God as a feminine presence, but I still didn't have words to put to that. Uh, Eventually, we started, my husband and I started going back to church. So then I had this dissonance again because it was still a Christian church. Um, And I finally had to come to terms with that myself um, and just be secure enough in Sophia God for me that I can go to a church and um, avoid some of the dissonance. I still I still have my triggers um, depending on what kind of service I'm in. Um, yeah, I'm hanging in there right now. So someday, okay. if you talk to me in a year, I may not be. Um, I don't know. I don't think any of us know where our journey's going. No, I don't. And, and thank you for being candid. I think. Um, you know, hearing you know, hearing you say that um, makes it okay for other people that are in that same place. And I mean, and let's face it: if we had all the answers, um, <laughs> our journey would be over. You know, um, I, I think it's the seeking that really uh, makes life interesting. You know, not really knowing um, what revelation is, uh, you know, is is around the corner, so to speak. You know. Yeah. Um, well, let me ask you, you have had some spiritual um, or emotional breakthroughs as a result of uh, your yoga practice. Um, can you speak about those a little bit? Um, let me think of, I'll share um, one in particular I can remember. Um, using Sometimes yoga surprises you with these breakthroughs. And this specific example I'm going to give is one where I kind of took that toolbox approach that I was talking about where I knew I needed something and I pulled it out of my yoga toolbox and it really worked. Um, It was right before I was going to publish my book and I was really getting quite nervous about coming out and actually calling God she and letting people know all the things I thought and, you know, all those voices in my head, what are they going to think you're going to get hate mail whatever you know the Mm -hmm, the chitter chatter mm -hmm. started and um i thought well i am really fearful so what yoga posture will help me overcome fear and i thought you know a really fearless pose is handstand throwing myself up in a handstand standing upside down literally turning the way i look at the world upside down i said what if i do handstand every single day for a month. So I decided I would do handstand every single day, which sounds almost silly, but there's something, like I said before, about physically doing something that made me less afraid. Um, I could have sat there and listened to someone tell me all day long, 
don't be afraid. You know, there's nothing to worry about. What other people think of you doesn't matter, blah, blah, blah. But I had to actually experience it. So um, that was an example of me working through something I needed to work through. Um, Other ways, you know, the births of both of my kids, I absolutely used my yoga. Don't know how I would have done it without it. The breath, um, the deep yoga breathing is so different than that crazy panting stuff they try to teach you in Lamaze classes, and I I Uh definitely did the yoga breathing. Um, I listened to my body. I didn't listen to necessarily what people outside of me were telling me because I was the one birthing. So much, so many yogic lessons that helped me through that. Um, yeah, you know, even just, as re- just that, you know, especially if it's when it's your first baby and you don't oh really, gosh. you know, that's a scary thing. And to be able to trust mm-hmm. yourself rather than the doctor or the midwife or the nurse, that's exactly. that's pretty impressive. <laughs> yep, yep. So anyone who's listening who's pregnant, I highly recommend yoga. Yeah. Um, and last week, I was going to say, just as as recently as last week, I had I was having vertigo, and um, it was driving me kind of batty because I hadn't done yoga for four or five days, which is a long time for me. And I thought I have to do something, but I thought, well, what can I do? I'm dizzy. I researched. I found four poses that I could do, and I did those poses. Um, and somehow it made it didn't change. It didn't make the vertigo go away but it made me feel less defined by it and less confined mm-hmm. by it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, again, it was a tool that gave me yeah. a way out that maybe I didn't see before. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the other things I tried, um, I was, you know, in this sort of testing phase. You know, I was looking for something to do to get me, you know, back into my physical body and up off the chair, you know. And uh, mm-hmm. and I wanted something that had the body-mind connection. So um, I, I was trying these um, uh, Qigong poses and stumbled mm. across this five-minute Qigong uh, easy poses, you know, that weren't, you know, that I could do without struggling. And I liked that the, you also said affirmations. You know, you had the affirmation, you had the breath, you had a posture mm-hmm. that wasn't terribly challenging. And uh, it was lovely. And I'm kicking myself that I didn't stick with that either. I, I mean, any any tips for sticking sticking with it, you know? Um, not, You know, how do you create the new habit? Um, you know, there's lots of, I see the water bottles out there at the studios I go to. There's a lot of the 40 days of yoga practice. I can't say that I've done it, but I've heard fabulous things about people who commit with another group of people. You know, usually it's a yoga studio that does it. And if you can get into one of those, you've got a built-in support network. Mm -hmm. And they say if you do it for 21 days, it's a habit. So I suppose if you have a 40-day practice, and you've got the community built around it, that would be a good way to get in and keep going. Yeah. Um, But also when you're doing it, I mean, you know, none of us monetarily, we can't all pay for a $20 yoga class every day. Right. So don't, you know, don't be afraid. Like I said before, for the home practice, don't build it up that, oh, my gosh, I have to do an hour and it has to have twists and bends and this and that. Just... You know, take it easy on yourself and say, 15 minutes, my four favorite poses from that class I did today, I'm going to do some semblance of them at home, 
and then I'm going to meditate for three minutes, and then I'm going to lay in Shavasana for three minutes. Done. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, we maybe try to overthink it and make it too complicated, and that prevents us from starting. Exactly. That perfectionist, you know, it can be very yeah. deceiving. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because if we, after all, if we don't do it right, what's the point? <laughs> exactly. I know. You know, we're... And that's, well, we're, that's, we're <laughs> that's one no, reason go. I created that that power hour that I told you that I would send to people who are interested. I was actually speaking to a, at a convention of young moms called MommyCon. And I thought, if anyone needs an hour of peace, it is new moms. Mm-hmm. And it's so overwhelming during that period um, when you've got a little one that needs you all the time. So I created it around, you know, assuming they're going to nap for an hour, that you can actually take an hour and I pull in different, not just the postures, because, you know, we've already talked about the postures are just one-eighth of the yoga. So I pull in some ways to simply incorporate some of the other aspects of yoga, but I break it out, not to make it like this is the exact way to do it, but if you are absolutely clueless, don't know where to start, you can pull the sheet out and go, okay, for 10 minutes, uh, I'm going to do this, and you can do it. Okay, for five minutes, I'm going to do this. So maybe that's, you know, a little roadmap for someone who needs help getting started or sticking with it. Yeah, because I think, you know, I was about to say, you know, maybe you can even find a yoga, uh, you know, a yoga class on TV and, um, you know, record it or something. But really, you probably just need to maybe memorize uh, a few poses and just do those over and over again. And that would be good enough. I think it's more effective than, I mean, when you bring in any video media into your Mm -hmm. yoga practice, Mm -hmm. to me, that is almost almost defeating it right there because you you're you're watching someone else and you're I don't know I I think that you would get more benefit from doing however many classes you can get to one two three whatever Mm -hmm. whatever you get to a week maybe even because sometimes we forget I know I come out of a yoga class and I think oh my gosh that one pose maybe pull your notepad out of your purse when you leave write down the two poses or whatever that spoke to you that day. And then you have a little go-to list for when you're at home and you say, what was that? What did he do? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, you were um, you, you had a poem uh, from your book, I, I think, about experiencing uh, Sophia that, uh, that you wanted to share. Do you, do you have that with you tonight? I do. Would you like me to share it with with them? I sure would. I sure would. I'd love to hear it. Okay. Okay. Standing tall, Sophia rising into the body that is home to my soul. Bending forward, bowing to the divine, arching backward, opening my heart to what is. Twisting deeply, wringing my very core, unseen emotions, thoughts, and feelings, carefully hidden, come unbidden into the light, breathing them out with each exhalation, breathing in gentle mercy and unconditional love, filling me with the knowledge that I am right where I should be at this moment, moving intentionally, embodying a sacred grace that comes from a reservoir deep within, meditating on the waters of that mysterious place, noticing the ripples on its surface, I open my eyes, 
I see no water, but I feel feel its undulations all the same. Claiming that vibration, its frequency unique to me, I roll up my mat. Grateful for a practice that transcends this space, this time, this body. Namaste. Mm, nice. Very nice. Thank so, um, so what? Um, I, I know we're going to wrap it up here, but uh, I'm just curious. Um, how did the book came, uh, come about? Um, you know, what was the inspiration? Or, I, I mean, you know, because it's no easy feat to sit down and write a book. You know, it's a five-year project from the time you. Uh, you is. know, generally vision it, and it actually it, then then it you know it gets published, and then the job's not over. Then you have to market it. Um, I know. <laughs> you know, I think this is something that has been had been brewing in me for a really long time along my journey, and things like this happen when they're supposed to. I I, I almost started to write it years and years before I actually did and it would have been a very different book because I hadn't mm-hmm. gotten to that sacred feminine part so mm-hmm. I think it would have been missing that whole component um, I think I just got enough questions from people who knew I was very spiritual I was very committed to yoga and I was from a Christian background and they wanted to know how that worked and they would come to me with the misconceptions and I started writing this um, probably wrote about half of it. And then a friend of mine, we were at a networking event, um, kind of outed me and said, hey, Monette, tell everyone about your book. And I kind of looked at her and I said, I don't have a book. <laughs> and But, you know, you're on the spot. And so I, I told the concept and why I thought it needed to be written. And there was a publisher at that event. And she came up to me afterwards and we started having breakfast uh, once a month. And she liked the idea, and she sold her partners on the idea, and I finished the book with her help. I mean, she was there being my cheerleader. Wow. And, you know, yeah, that's how it happened. What serendipity, huh? Yeah, I mean, you know, that just goes to show you we never know how things are going to manifest. You know, we we get these plans in our head, how we're going to do things, and if your friend hadn't, you know, um, blurted that out about your book. Um, I, I mean, these things are. I, I love when things like happen like this. I really I do. do. I mean, it's so magical. <laughs> it feels like it, validation that we're on the right path when things yes, like that happen. Yes, yes. You know, you know, because I feel I feel like when we're not pushing the boulder uphill, um, mm-hmm. you know, when things click and 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 things are moving along easily. That's uh, like you said, validation that we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, and um, you know, I mean, not that life doesn't have its challenges and things. You know, everything shouldn't just fall in your lap uh, without any right. effort. I'm I'm not saying that, but um, you know, sometimes we do. I think just you know, push down the wrong direction, and we don't realize that you know. Maybe that's not the direction we should be going in. You know, sometimes it's hard to tell the difference sometimes, I think. Yes. Yep. Well, Monette, why don't you uh, tell listeners uh, again uh, about your offer? And um, also, too, now would be the time if there's something I haven't asked you, if you want to share with (laughs) listeners, um, I invite you to do that. Oh, thank you. Now, I just encourage everyone who's out there, whether you have a practice or not, to not be intimidated. 
play with it, read a lot, but mostly listen to yourself and follow your heart. Um, the offer, just to get you started, I do have that power hour, which breaks it out, you know, 10-minute segment by 10-minute segment, how you can go through a practice and you can change it up to suit you. Um, all you need to do is follow me on Twitter or Instagram, and it is Monette Chilson, M-O-N-E-T-T-E-C-H-I-L-S-O-N. And just a comment with your email address, and I will send that your way. And okay. also, if anyone wants a um, a reader's guide that has lots of experiential kind of questions and things to work through, some of this feminine divine and yoga, uh, I've got a reader's guide on my website, too, and that's uh, com. Now, if by chance um, you're not a Twitter person, but you're a Facebook person, um, do you have a Facebook page and they could do the same thing? I am one of the weird people, the few on the planet that I'm not on Facebook. Oh, okay. Well, lucky I know you. It's, it's a time suck. I know. That's what I've heard, <laughs> but then every once in a while when there's cool things happening, I feel a little left out. But, uh-huh. you know. It's it's a lesson in life. We can't do everything. So Twitter and Instagram for me and, you know, what I'm meant to see, I suppose, will show up there. There you go. There you go. Well, Monette, I have so enjoyed talking to you, and I've learned a lot. And I sincerely uh, mean it when I say I'm going to take uh, try to take some of the things you said to heart and get myself going again and up out of this chair. <laughs> Good. Well, maybe I'll come back sometime, and we'll talk about how that's going, Karen. Yes, yes, yes. And, you know, let me know uh, anytime you have something uh, new you'd like to share with listeners. I'd be happy to have you back on the show. Okay. okay. Well, all right. Well, good night and, and best of luck with the book. Um, and uh, we want to give the title again one more time, please. It's Sophia, Sophia Rising, Awakening Your Sacred Wisdom Through Yoga. And you can get it at all the regular places? All the regular places, yep. Okie doke. It's an ebook and hardback, both. Okay. Thank you so much, okay. Monette, and best All of right. luck with everything. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye, Karen. Well, we are crossing the threshold into the second part of the show, and I think I have some inspirational things for you uh, that I would like to share. Uh, some the first comes from uh, a friend of mine, Laura Perry, who has been here on the show. Um, and um, she has this um, uh, little essay. I mean, it's not really an essay. It's really short. Um, called The Long Spoons of Compassion. And uh, I wanted to share it with you uh, because... Um, I don't know, I just I just like the message in it. So it's called The Allegory of the Long Spoons, and it's a story you've maybe heard before, but this is Laura Perry's adaptation. She says, The story is usually framed as a vision of heaven and hell or some other sort of afterlife experience, but something a person sees in the afterlife doesn't allow them to bring it back into this world to make changes, at least not right away, depending on your beliefs. So Laura uh, shifted the narrative a little bit. She says in her version, the vision happens in the dream time, sort of like uh, an Ebenezer Scrooge kind of moment. So the person can bring their new learning back into the world and share it. And of course, um, 
She uh, prefers goddess as the teacher character in the tale. Uh, and versions of this parable uh, exist in a wide variety of spiritual traditions from Judaism to the Vedic religions. Um, you know, the story uh, encapsulates um, a, a core human value, which is compassion. So here goes. Uh, once there was a man who was unhappy. He had wealth and success, but still felt empty. This emptiness made him angry, and he took out his wrath on all those around him. One night, as he was going to sleep, he called out angrily to the divine, demanding relief from his emptiness, his pain. Well, when the man awoke in the dream world, he found himself standing in a large hallway. As he looked around the empty space, his anger boiled. What use is an empty hallway, he snarled to himself. Then a figure appeared before him, shrouded in a hooded cloak. But even though he could not see the face, he knew it was the great mother standing before him. He trembled a little bit and tried to think of the right thing to say. Do not speak, the great mother said, but look and listen. She waved her hand toward a door, and it swung open, revealing a large group of people. He could hear their voices raised in anger at each other. As he looked more closely, he saw that they were gathered around a big pot full of delicious-smelling stew, yet they were all thin, starving, and each person's hand was a spoon with which they scooped out the stew. But the spoon handles were so long the people could not eat, no matter how they stretched out their arms. So they were all hungry, and they shouted and snapped at each other, each one blaming the other for their empty stomachs. The great mother waved her hand, and the door shut. The man shook his head and said, You, you didn't need to show me that, he said. I know how awful people are. Well, the great mother waved her hand again, and a second door opened. Once again, the man heard many voices, and once again he saw people gathered around a big pot of stew. But as he looked closer, he saw that the scene was very different from the first. The people weren't shouting at each other. They were chatting and laughing together. They weren't starving and angry. In fact, they were all quite cheerful. What puzzled the man was that these people had the same long spoons as the first group, yet somehow they weren't starving. Was it magic? Were they cheating somehow? Maybe using short-handled spoons when no one was looking? The man looked lovingly at the happy group clustered around the pot of stew. He wished with all his heart to be like those people. How, he asked the great mother, how are they doing it? Simple, she replied. They have learned to feed each other. And so we must all feed each other today and every day. I think you probably get it. You know, they couldn't eat from these long-handled spoons themselves, but they could reach the spoon over to another and have them eat from the spoon as someone did the very same for them. I, I've heard that before, but... Um, I think it's one of these stories that's worth repeating often. <laughs> 
And um, something else um, I wanted to share with you. Um, here's something new I'd like to tell you about. Uh, for some time on the show, I've uh, described the film Dancing with Gaia by Joe Carson. Uh, Joe's also written a book called Celebrate Wildness, Magic, Mirth, and Love in the Feriferia Path. And um, it, uh, it, it, her book has just come out in a new expanded second edition. And Furriferia calls itself a love culture for wilderness. Uh, it connects you to the fairy spirits of the land and stars around you and aims to create uh, uh, a parad- uh, paradisal sanctuaries all over the world. Rooted in ancient Crete, the elusive mysteries, troubadour practices, and megalithic traditions, Furriferia uh, celebrates the goddess as the merry maiden called Cori. With laughter and play, they say that Corey carries keys to the future. Here are a few quotes from Jason Mankey about Celebrate Wilderness. Jason has been involved with paganism for the last 20 years and has spent the last 10 of those as a speaker, writer, and high priest. And uh, here's a quote about the book. He said, I began wildness reluctantly, but within 15 minutes I was all in and found myself absolutely entranced by its pages. Some of that is no doubt due to the beautiful artwork of Fred Adams that just leaps off the page. Why aren't all of the images in this book available as fine quality prints to hang around my ritual space? But this book is far more than art. It's wonderfully written and really serves as a comprehensive how-to on Farah Faria. There's a lot of great history in here as well, but it's the doing and the philosophies that grabbed me. I was worried I'd find Feriferia remote and hard to understand or rather dated as a philosophy, and I'll happily admit to being completely wrong. I found so much of my own belief within the pages of wisdom that I'm actively planning to incorporate some of it into my coven work. Fred and Svetlana's vision from 50 years ago is just as urgent and as beautiful today as it was back then. The Feriferian vision as it relates to the Wheel of the Year is one I think most pagans would benefit from. Celebrate Wildness is a true hardcover art book printed on heavy paper with images of goddess, photos, symbols, and diagrams on almost every page, and it would make a fabulous gift, and it's available from the Feriferia website, and I'll spell that in case uh, you want to go look right now, F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A.org. Okay, um, some other things uh, I found that uh, I wanted to share. thought you might enjoy them as much uh, as I did. Here's a quote. A priestess is a woman who helps others connect to the divine so they can heal or actualize their soul's unique path. And that is by Dara McKinley. Also uh, a favorite of mine from uh, Arundhati Roy, she says, The system will collapse if we refuse to buy what they're selling their ideas, their version of history, their wars, their weapons, their notion of inevitability. Remember this, we may be many and they be few. They need us more than we need them. Another world is not only possible, she is on her way. On a quiet day, I can hear her breathing. And another from Collective Evolution Sometimes when you're in a dark place, 
you think you've been buried when actually you've been planted. I like that. Now, um, here's something else that uh, I promised I would share with you, uh, and it comes from uh, another Facebook friend, uh, Aurora Ray. I read one of her other pieces um, on a a recent show, and um, I wanted to share this one with you as well. It was uh, something she wrote in 2012, and um, uh, it goes like this. It's called... um, You were wild once, don't let them tame you. Oh, well, that's just another quote. You were wild once, don't let them tame you. That's by Isadora Duncan. But uh, Aurora Ray wrote, Dirty girl. I am dirty in a society that tells me clean is good, happy is good, making more money is good, structure is good, being a mother is good, chastity is good. I am dirty, grinding my yoni against the rocks, feeling the water cascade down my chest. The moon glowing upon me, I am one with the animals, the elements, the fairy creatures, the dark moon dwellers. I am a dirty girl, mixing the mud with my hair to make dreadlocks, sweeping the red dirt across my face, down my ribs and breast. I am a dirty girl dancing naked under the moonlight, honoring the place where my menstrual blood drips when I free bleed into the earth, just as we wild women were born to do. I am a dirty girl because I touch myself for the pure joy of touching myself. I recognize my belly as it bulges out. I honor my womb for its ability to create life. I howl because I am primal, because I am allowed. I love you, wild woman. We are forever free. Thank you, Aurora Ray, for letting me read that to listeners. I really appreciate it. Then there's um, a quote of the day that uh, Corvia Blackthorne sent me. Um, It comes from the Cornucopia Institute. It says, I think we need to take back our language. I want to call my organic carrots carrots and let other farmers call theirs a chemical carrot. And they can list all of the ingredients that they used instead of me having to be certified. The burden is on us to prove something. Let them prove that they used only 30 chemicals instead of 50 to produce an apple. And that comes from Mary Jane Butters, an organic farmer. And the last one, let's put this one to rest. No farmers have not been genetically modifying food for thousands of years. Farmers practice hybridization using cross-pollination. With GMOs, the plant DNA is mixed with the DNA of another plant or unrelated plant species, or even the DNA of animals or bacteria. Hybrids and GMOs are very, very different. And, you know, a lot of people don't understand that. And um, probably uh, because of the disinformation out there by the, uh, you know, big agra, uh, who uh, doesn't want us to know the difference, you know, who wants us to think the GMOs, Uh, or nothing to be concerned about. Look the other way, look the other way, they say, you know. And they put all of that money into uh, 
an election here in California not that long ago when we were trying to get um, uh, labels on our food and labels, you know, if uh, you know, and labels on our, you know, our produce. But what do they do? You know, they come and they spend all of this money on the election and make people afraid that if they do that, they, you know, it was going to cost jobs. And, uh, you know, their disinformation campaign worked, unfortunately. Well, uh, that about does it for tonight, dear listeners. Uh, thank you so very much uh, for tuning in, as always. Uh, please tell your friends about the show. And... Um, I want to thank Holly for her recent donation uh, to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. And um, I, I, you know, here I'm doing my PBS pledge thing. Uh, But if you can help me keep uh, Voices of the Sacred Feminine on the air, I would sure appreciate it because I do pay for the airtime to bring you um, these wonderful guests every week. And I hope you will uh, help me. Uh, you know, show your appreciation for the show because, you know, what we say, what you nurture and support thrives um, and, um, you know, what you neglect withers. So please, if you can, uh, go to my webpage at uh, karentate.com and once you're there, go to the Goddess Store page. Uh, Please, look and see what's there. Uh, There are free meditations you can... um, Enjoy. Uh, There's some new ones there now. Uh, A fan of the show was kind enough to uh, take some of the meditations from my Goddess Calling book and um, and record those on YouTube. So you have some of those there uh, directly from Goddess Calling, and you have some others. And uh, so avail yourself of all the free stuff that's on the website. But also, if you can, um, you know, look at the Goddess uh, greeting cards. Uh, that are created from uh, wonderful photographs from sacred places and uh, goddess artifacts. Um, and uh, you you know might want to use those with the holidays coming up. They're sort of universal cards that can be adapted for um, uh, a number of different purposes. Uh, there's also my books there with some special deals that you can't get anywhere else. Uh, or if you just want to make a donation, go all the way down to the bottom of the page and there is a PayPal button and you can donate any amount you want, absolutely any amount you want. And uh, I would certainly appreciate it uh, if you do. So um, I guess that about does it. Um, let me hear from you. Um, hit the uh, uh, the follow button on your show page uh, on my show page, not your show page, on uh, on my show page, so you don't miss notice of the shows each week. And um, I guess that's about it. So uh, to close tonight's uh, show, I'm going to go back uh, to Celia and uh, let you hear the balance of her song, um, Please Forgive Us. Um, an ode to Dear Mother Earth to please forgive us for all the unholy things that uh, are being done to her body. But she is uh, she's fighting back the fires, the earthquakes, the floods, the hurricanes. Uh, she is speaking out. And, um, you know, I think she is in the process of a purge. Anyway, here is Celia. Please forgive us. And uh, thank you, dear listeners. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. You are the gas in my tank. 
Uh, please come back tomorrow uh, for Michelle Hart speaking with me about Inheduana, and then we'll be back on track every week uh, after that. Okay, here you go. Good night.
Yeah. 